All right, folks, welcome to the first edition of the Desert Farmer Podcast. I am Brian Bledsoe, a meteorologist that uh, has grown accustomed to forecasting the weather for a lot of agricultural purposes across the Great Plains and specifically across southwest Nebraska, eastern Colorado, most of Kansas, western Oklahoma, Texas, eastern New Mexico, right there where many folks consider the Great American Desert and or at times the Dust Bowl region, which we have all become too familiar with off and on over the past several years. And uh, the good thing about this part of the country is how resilient it is, the quality of the people that exist in this area. And it's, it's in a region of the country that's very near and dear to my heart because I grew up in a farming and ranching family in eastern Colorado, uh, for those of you that uh, didn't know that. Right out in the middle of nowhere, that's where I grew up, and that's why I have such an affection for the folks that live in this country because it's a hard country. You need every advantage you can get, especially when you're doing agriculture, and uh, that's kind of where I've come in on my background and in helping folks put weather in their risk management toolbox, not as a thing that is just on a whim and it may play out or it may not play out or it's just by chance, but to really help them dial in short and long-range weather forecasting to help better their business. So that's kind of what I'm all about. But this this Desert Farmer podcast that uh, I've been wanting to do for a while now is going to involve a lot of elements, really. It's going to involve some weather, which I will obviously talk about. I may have some guests on this podcast that also talk about weather. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about agriculture. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of the advantages that we have in this part of the country when it does come to agriculture, and I know that sounds crazy, but uh, there are some advantages. And a big advantage that I have is that I have access to a lot of folks that live in this part of the country and, and that have such a wealth of knowledge. And I think sharing those types of ideas is a really good thing to have on this podcast. And I know some great minds, farming and ranching alike, that I would want to have on this podcast and be able to share information with you. Uh, whether that comes into uh, what type of seed you're using, what type of equipment you're using, what type of spray or chemicals or applications you're using, um, what you're doing with your cow herd. Are you in yearlings? Are you doing cow-calf operations? Uh, all different kinds of things that I think a lot of us talk about on Twitter, which where the desert farmers kind of got this started, uh, but where we can kind of compartmentalize some of that stuff right here on this podcast. And again, I'm really excited to be able to tap into that wealth of knowledge uh, that are uh, are so that is so prevalent with a lot of the folks that reside in this part of the country. So. Uh, wanting to give back to you is kind of the message here with this particular forecast and this podcast and whatever we want to call it. But again, totally catering toward desert farmers and the desert farmer way of life uh, in the great American desert. Uh, while I'm kind of going on about what this is inevitably going to be, I also want to share some weather information because I got to tell you guys, this, this is something that I've been really excited about for about the past week or so. And that's a pattern change. We have been dealing with serious heat. We've been dealing with serious dryness that came on the heels of uh, a spring that was so wet and so cool. There were a lot of folks wondering if they were going to get enough heating degree days in to finish the crop. Not necessarily so much heat that it eliminated the crop or greatly hindered the crop production. So we've really gone from one extreme to another 
just in a short period of time where we dealt with so much drought before April and then by late April and especially when we went into May and June, we turned that completely around, especially from eastern Colorado western kansas right down through the panhandles and even eastern new mexico but as we really pushed our way into the month of july we we turned that pattern on a dime back to kind of what it was with not only the dryness but also quite a bit in the way of heat the other thing that we had to deal with so much of this year is the hail and the severe weather we had a lot of tornadic activity in eastern colorado we had a lot of hail in eastern colorado western kansas southwest nebraska all the way southward into the panhandle region to go along with all that flooding so we know that this part of the country is is very extreme in nature okay that that just goes without saying but it's uh it's really seems to have capitalized on that this year uh by what we've seen as far as the weather is concerned so to, to kind of draw this back into what I want to speak about in the in the short term, we have that pattern change taking place. And I'm recording this here on September 9th. It's a Saturday. And it's warm. It's dry out there. But I'm looking at the forecast and have been looking at the forecast now for a while, putting a lot of hopes on the second half of September being quite a bit different than what the first half was. So this pattern change has actually come a little bit sooner than what I was thinking, but we're not only going to see much cooler temperatures take hold, and I'm not just talking about across Colorado or Nebraska or Kansas, but I'm talking about a substantial cool down farther south where they have just been broiling in eastern New Mexico, parts of Oklahoma, and across the great state of Texas. So that cool down in itself is going to be a significant help. And it's going to be an extended one. It's just not going to be a couple of days. It's going to be an extended cool down. Um, the other thing that you always try to hope for when you see a cool down like this are some significant rain chances. And I am happy to say we definitely have that coming our way. Uh, Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas, southward into the panhandles, and even across uh, the majority of Oklahoma and into Texas are going to see some pretty significant rain out of this deal. And it probably isn't going to come all at once. We've got stuff coming uh, in parts of the area from late tonight, but really most likely Sunday and into Monday night. It looked like some of us would get a little bit of a break on Tuesday early, and then another more significant round possibly comes in from the west tied to a pretty good disturbance that's going to soak a lot of the same areas that get primed with this initial round. And some of this rain that I've been looking at, and a lot of the folks that I do work for, I'm sending out information to you, obviously, about this all the time. But for those of you that may not be privy to that, that's something that I do, trying to prepare you for that weather that's to come and working for these folks to try to get that weather information out to them, not as quickly as possible, but as accurately as possible so they can help uh, go about their business and continue to plan, whether you're finishing up some harvest or you want to shove, uh, shove some weed in the ground, which again is a big deal this time of year. You got to put that hard red winter weed in the ground here pretty soon, but you got to have some moisture to do it. And we really haven't had that for the past few falls. Uh, we've had to dust that stuff in. A lot of it had to be abandoned, especially this past um, late winter and spring. And this is uh, this would be a real godsend to see this type of moisture impact the hard red uh, winter wheat belt the way we need it right now. Not just enough to get the, the wheat in the ground, but also to recharge some of that sub-moisture, uh, that subsoil moisture that 
a lot of the heat has been baking out now for the past few weeks or so. So uh, I know this is not going to be a home run for everybody. I feel that the farther northeast you go, you're probably going to struggle for some of the heavier rain. And by northeast, I think across parts of southwest Nebraska, maybe even a parts of northeast Colorado and northeastward, struggle a little bit to get a lot of rain out of this deal. But the farther south and southwest you go, and even southeast, some of the rain totals could total over one to two inches. And I've seen some computer models over the next seven days putting down in the neighborhood of two to four inches across parts of the Panhandles, uh, South Central Kansas, and into uh, much of Oklahoma and North Texas. So that's the area that really needs that moisture to get things going as far as the uh, the weed is concerned. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about that and what lies ahead for this upcoming week. But even beyond that, I'm still hopeful that the pattern change will have put an end to the extreme heat that we've been dealing with. And also, if nothing else, just give us more regular moisture chances to go along with that. Some folks that did have moisture uh, in the ground a while back, we're looking at putting weed in the ground back in, in August. And I'm like, look, we got to pump the brakes on that. I know you're not used to having moisture uh, around to be able to put the wheat in the ground. But if you do that and you still have all that heat, you're going to grow and say you get a little bit of moisture out of you. You're going to grow up that wheat tall enough to where you're going to have a big old cold front come down in the fall. And you may go from, say, 85 or 90 one day to basically uh, 20 the next. Specifically, that happens in southwest Nebraska, eastern Colorado, western Kansas. And then you had this nice pretty wheat crop that had all this promise get clipped by a hard freeze or the stress and whatnot. And I know that that doesn't happen all the time, but it was definitely a concern that I would have because I think going forward, not only do we have the better prospects of seeing better moisture, but in the longer term, the overall temperature forecast probably stays a little warmer than average going forward. So we have to kind of balance that a little bit here. So being able to delay that uh, the way we have for at least a few weeks, I think buys us a little extra time, hopefully can keep that wheat uh, short enough when it does come up that it doesn't get just completely annihilated by a big Arctic front uh, that changes things uh, on the order of about 65 to 70 degrees in about a 12-hour time frame because we have definitely uh, seen stuff like that. So that's the thing that I'm most excited about coming up for this week. Uh, and again, if you want me to dial things in for you anytime to, to be a little bit more specific than what I'm talking about now with this forecast information, you know, kick me an email. Uh, I'm not that hard to find. Brian Bledsoe, WX at gmail.com. You also find me on Twitter, just at Brian Bledsoe. If you're interested in stuff like that, I, I can help you with that. And if, uh, if weather is your thing, and I know obviously here in the Western High Plains, weather is a huge deal. Uh, and in any type of agriculture, weather is a huge deal. And while I've talked a lot about the hard red winter wheat belt, uh, and the promise that we have going forward over the next seven days of shoving that good moisture in the ground, the farther south you go, uh, a lot of the crops have been, you know, basically burnt up. I know the cotton crop was struggling mightily across parts of Texas. I know that there are some areas that are doing okay, but a lot of areas had some problems. But the other thing that I think is important is that all that subsoil moisture that got built up back during the month of May across a large part of Texas and eastern New Mexico, that subsoil moisture is basically gone. It has been gone for a while, and it's been hard to just not even get a little bit of rain, but it's hard to be uh, to have even gotten a significant rain out of this deal 
for the past couple of months or so. So this is a huge blessing, not only in the fact that we're going to have that much cooler temperatures on the way, but also uh, some solid rain chances, really, from Amarillo back to Clovis, down toward Lubbock, and extending eastward through uh, central Texas, Austin, northward toward Dallas, all the way toward Oklahoma City. This pattern change looks like it's going to clip a pretty significant area, uh, if nothing else. But uh, enough in terms of the shorter range weather. I know a lot of you are interested in what happens for the long range, so a little bit of a snippet about that. Uh, the El Nino is still present. Uh, it is likely going to get stronger before it weakens, especially as we go into November, December, and January. But it's questions from folks saying, hey, you know, El Nino hasn't shown up yet. What's the problem? And I think that is a real problem with how El Nino is framed. From a forecast standpoint, it is not a cure-all for everybody. In some cases, when you go in from a strong La Nina to a strong El Nino, you can still set up similar weather regimes that have an incredibly hard time breaking down. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that has been terrible with the messaging of what El Nino means. Can El Nino help the southern tier of the United States? Absolutely. Uh, can it not? Absolutely. But right now, my focus is on a couple of things. What type of El Nino is this going to be? Is this going to be an El Nino where the warmest water stays in the East Central Pacific Ocean, right there off the West Coast of South America? Or is that warm water going to migrate westward a little bit? Or is that warm water going to migrate even farther to the West? All right. Three different setups right there with usually three different potential outcomes. Uh, now, if we set up with a traditional or east-based El Nino right there off the west coast of South America, like what we have right now, the southern tier of the United States and the storm track uh, is invigorated, and it's usually wetter than average and cooler than average, especially once you get south of I-70. All right, so uh, much of east and southeast Colorado, much of Kansas, down in Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, back to the west in the Arizona, Southern California, and then the Gulf Coast region is also significantly wetter right up into the uh, possibly into the mid-Atlantic states. So that southern base storm track is a hallmark of these traditional or east-based uh, El Nino episodes. With a, um, a central Pacific or kind of a hybrid event, the southern tier is still fairly active, maybe not to the degree that we get in a, in a traditional or east-based El Nino, but you're still doing okay. But if that warmer-than-average water shifts even farther west, okay, you get what's called a Madoki El Nino, where the southern tier in the United States isn't necessarily set up like it does with the previous two El Ninos. And that's concerning to me whenever that is on the table that you say, oh, El Nino's coming, it's great. No, it depends on the type. I am hopeful that this El Nino event ends up not being quite as strong as a forecast, and it ends up being a traditional or central-based event because that is at least on the table to give significant moisture to a lot of areas that need it across the southern tier of the United States that can hopefully eradicate some of the longstanding drought or at least deficits in subsoil moisture uh, that have been incurred over the past um, you know, a couple of years or so. So, uh, and you might ask yourself, well, Brian, why, why don't you want a real strong El Nino? Because when you get a real strong El Nino or a real strong La Nina, it locks the weather pattern into those specific regimes to where those regimes perpetuate themselves and they become increasingly hard to break down. Bottom line, it reduces your weather pattern variability to a great extent. So while a moderate event 
as far as El Nino goes, I would really like to see that. I think we're probably going to be a little bit stronger than that, simply because of the way the computer model forecasts are going and the way the oceans look. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just simply saying, don't be surprised if you get really, really wet areas with this El Nino and still really, really dry areas with this, that the weather pattern variability will be hindered uh, in, in that particular way. But uh, if nothing else, we don't have La Nina to talk about, and that is good news. So that's on the table. Uh, when we look at uh, analog years, if you will, over the past several years, you try to go back in history and say, what has happened when these types of events have set up? What do the oceans look like? Uh, how, what years in the past compare to what we're dealing with right now? And I actually cherry-picked a couple of years today. And I'm not saying that these are these are analogs that are just lock, stock, and barrel that you have to take to the bank. But the, I came across two years since 1950 that dealt with a strong east-based traditional El Nino while there was a, uh, a strongly negative PDO or Pacific Decadal Oscillation. And those two years... 1951 and 52, and 1972-73. So uh, you might ask yourself, well, what happened during those years? And in many cases, uh, the majority of the country from October through March had some pretty good moisture. There were a couple areas across Southeast Texas that were a little bit drier than average, but for the most part, we did okay. But when you're analoging, you can't just say, oh, it's an El Nino, it's going to do this. You first of all have to figure out what type, what other elements are at play, and how that's going to change going forward, if it's going to change going forward. So I think those are some important things to, to look at. But I am looking at those two years uh, very, very closely going forward to see how we change over the next few weeks and what that means going forward. If those uh, uh, those two analog years, again, 51-52, uh, 72-73, if they end up panning out. Now, what are other analog years that we could possibly throw in there? Well, 1982-83. 1997-98, those two years in particular were uh, contained a very strong East-based or traditional El Nino episode uh, during those times. 2009-2010, uh, that's on the table, although I, I'm not as uh, crazy about 09 and 10 simply because the El Nino episode wasn't as strong during that particular time. Uh, so I'm a little concerned that the sea surface temperature anomalies don't match up exactly. 5758 is uh, is interesting, but we didn't have a negative PDO during that time. The same thing for some of the El Nino events that happened during the early to mid 60s. Um, so you can see that the challenges that that you have to undergo when you're when you're talking about specific analog years, because rarely does everything match up correctly. And when you're talking about an El Nino or a La Nina event. Usually, there's there's rarely two events that match up identically. You always have these unexpected outcomes. Case in point, what happened in California last winter when we had the La Nina going on, when they had crazy amounts of snow, all-time record amounts of snow, when historically speaking, when you have a La Nina event and you're in California, eight out of the ten years are usually drier than average. So you always have these little things that buck the trend uh, that you at least have to pay attention to. Bottom line, to kind of sum that up, I'm, I'm excited about what's on the table from a weather standpoint. And by excited, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we don't have to worry about moisture for the next several months here in the Western High Plains and in the Great American Desert, like what we've had to deal with for the past three years. I think that that, that would help a lot of folks out in the mental health department and not just simply, uh, you know, with, with crop production and being able to get things planted 
and actually be able to shove it in the ground and have hope uh, and and solid hope that you're that it's going to be able to make a crop uh, the following year. So um, I didn't want to talk a whole lot about weather this time, but I, I couldn't let that go because, as I said, this this upcoming week is so important uh, for the Great American Desert and going forward with the uh, with putting wheat in the ground. Um, to kind of tidy this episode up, I only want to keep this to about 20 minutes, especially when I'm solo, because I don't want you to hear me just drone on and on over this. But kind of some of the things that I have uh, looking forward to for our next episodes, bringing guests on here, talking about what's going forward with the long-range forecast uh, in El Nino and how important is that. Are you signed up for PRF, Pasture, Rangeland, and Forage? You know that deadline, mid-November. So I do a lot of work with folks with that. Um, and we'll be talking a lot about that going forward. And uh, basically, I'm interested in what you think of this. Is this a good idea? Do you want to sponsor this? Do you do you have anything? Say, Brian, we want to talk more about this, or we don't want to talk much about that. And also, I want to keep things tied to the overall mission of this podcast, which is to uh, just give as much information as possible that is not only timely, but valuable to folks that need it. Whether that may be legal advice on your property when it comes to agriculture, or just simply, hey, when is a good time to get my get my crops in the ground? And are we going to have hope going forward? So I hope you enjoy this first episode. Again, not as dynamic as if we have specific guests on. And some of the some of the folks I'm going to have on this podcast are are turned up. So I know you're going to enjoy that going forward. But please give some feedback. Really enjoyed talking with you today, and we're going to make this a little bit of a regular thing going forward. I'm, I'm super excited about it. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I appreciate your listenership, and as I said, drop me a line if you have some feedback. Otherwise, I will be talking to you shortly. Desert Farmers, be well, and we'll be chatting with you soon.